Good morning again. If you are just tuning in with us, my name is Sam McLaughlin, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church. If you're a visitor with us, we're so glad that you're worshiping with us. You'll see uh, in our post, there's a link to our email newsletter. That's the best way to learn about our church right now. And if you sign up for that newsletter, it gives me your information. I would love the chance to connect with you. As I said earlier, today is the third Sunday in our sermon series, One Wild and Precious Life. This month, we are trying to claim that each of us has a story. Each of us has a wild and precious life that we only have one shot at living well. We are looking at stories in the book of Matthew to understand the adventure and the calling that Jesus invites us to embark on with with him. A few weeks ago, our first story was about wise men who encountered the baby Jesus and found themselves changed. Because of this transformation, they disobeyed the earthly king's orders to return to him and bring him information, and they traveled home by another road. We discussed that even if 2021 looks just like 2020, or maybe you're feeling even worse than 2020, How we choose to navigate our surroundings can change. Last week, we flipped the page in our storybook, and we looked at the first disciples that Jesus called to follow him and learn from him. They were four fishermen, two sets of brothers. They showed us the urgency with which we must respond to Jesus, to join him in the kairos work of the kingdom Work that calls us always to do the right thing. When we left Jesus last week, he was teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the kingdom of heaven and healing the sick all around Syria. Today, we are looking at the substance of Jesus's kingdom message. He is proclaiming the kingdom, but what exactly does that mean? And so we are looking at his best-known sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Now, scholars tell us that Jesus may not have actually given this sermon on a mountain. It could have been a hill or a plain, and it probably wasn't done in one sitting. Matthew, as the editor and curator of this story, likely brought all of Jesus's most powerful teachings together in this stretch from Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7. I love that New Testament scholar A.J. Levine calls this Jesus' greatest hits. You remember those Now CDs, like Now, That's What I Call Music 2020? Think of this as Now, That's What I Call Music, Jesus' greatest hits. If we want to understand the heart of the gospel, this is our starting point It teaches us how to be a part of the already present but not yet fully realized kingdom of God. This first section is known as the Beatitudes. The Latin word means blessing. The Greek word means happy, fortunate, or even in a privileged situation. Now, the Beatitudes would have been familiar to the crowd in which Jesus was teaching. They were found both in the Psalms and in the prophets. Here, as Jesus often does, he is using words and allusions from the Old Testament to draw on what his leaders, listeners would relate to and understand. The Beatitudes 
were meant to be understood communally as well. Maybe you were like me growing up thinking that these were just ways that we were to live individually uh, so that we would be good people. But one scholar puts it this way, the Beatitudes do not describe nine different kinds of good people who get to go to heaven. They are oriented towards life together in the community of discipleship, not to individualistic ethics. Now, we must individually seek to fulfill these descriptors, but not for our own good, for the good of the whole community. My theology professor, Dr. Meeks, used to say it this way, you must consider for whose sake you are living out the gospel. If it is only for you, then it is not the good news. And so those who represent Jesus's kingdom are poor in spirit. They mourn, they are meek, they hunger and thirst for righteousness. They are merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, and sometimes even persecuted for proclaiming the message of God. Now, as we examine these Beatitudes a little closer, we see that in Luke's version of the Beatitudes, he begins with, blessed are the poor. Matthew adds the phrase, in spirit. Now, in the Psalms, the poor or the economically disadvantaged were understood as a group of people who were dependent on God. So as Matthew adds poor in spirit, he is seeking to include anyone whose identity and security is found in God alone. I found that meaning to be particularly important for us today. Like many of you, these last two weeks have stirred up chaos around us and within us. I feel that conflictedness. I feel tense. Uh, like you, I move in and out of stability and instability, particularly with the threat of more violence on the horizon. We might say that this is a season of shifting sand. But this morning, right away, we are reminded that God is our stabilizing identity. We have one foot in the kingdom, but we were made from the dust of two kingdoms. Our earthly identity is informed by God's heavenly breath. And that means our role on earth is to care about what happens, to participate in bringing about the values of the kingdom, while staying tethered to the stabilizing force of Jesus Christ. I think that one reason that things feel unstable or uncertain today is that there seems to be so many truths swarming around us. It feels like half of us believe one narrative and another half believes a completely different narrative and everyone thinks that their narrative is the right one. But right away, even that idea is false. There are more than two sides to every story. There are more than two large groups of people who believe exactly the same things. We cannot force one another into two different boxes. But see, when we are wrestling with what we see and hear, and we are tr trying to determine what is truth, we Christians have to remember that we have a measuring stick. Jesus Christ is the solid rock on which we stand. 
If what we are seeing in the world does not match up with his actions and the description of his kingdom, it is not truth. And today, the truth is telling us to remember whose we are and where we came from, to resist the chaos that seeks to pull us in and pull ourselves back to the quiet center that quells all our fears. This week, my son, Lewis, was home from childcare because of a case of COVID in his class. Everyone's doing okay, but this happened not too long ago. So honestly, my husband, Mark, and I at the beginning of the week were like, oh, not again. We love our child, but, you know, it's hard for a work and life balance. So we're sharing the childcare between the week, and at his nap time on Wednesday, I was working from home in my room, and I entered our bathroom. Before I could turn on the light, the sunlight coming through the window caught my attention. It was highlighting the piece of our mirror that had Lewis's grimy handprints all over it. You see, every night one of us takes him to the bathroom to brush his teeth. And inevitably, when he is done, he wants to stand on the counter and bang his hands on the mirror. I catch him looking at himself, you know, trying to examine who he is Sometimes I'll prompt him and I'll say, who is that? And he'll say, that's Uis, (laughs) because he can't quite get that L yet. So when I stood there looking at these smudges on the mirror, I wondered, when was the last time I really took stock of my own reflection? See, I think the Beatitudes are an invitation to look in the mirror and be honest about what is reflected back. It isn't a one-time glance, but a full face press over and over, a willingness to get our hands dirty and confront what we lack of the kingdom within ourselves. Today, when you examine your heart and your soul, can you say with certainty that you are living as someone whose identity and security is found in God alone? What truth is your one wild and precious life based on? Are you joining the world in its chaos or are you finding your stabilizing center in Jesus? What I also love about this passage is that to be pure in heart does not just mean an avoidance of impure thoughts. It means single-minded devotion to God. As I said last week, the kingdom of God requires our full allegiance, our single-minded devotion to God. And today Jesus explains what we must be aligned to if we are going to claim him as our king, if we are going to be representatives of his kingdom. So think of it this way. For the sake of community, Jesus said, if we want to find true comfort, we will join in the communal suffering of those who are mourning, of those who lament their condition. To inherit the kingdom, we must be meek. According to A.J. Levine, this Greek word means someone who has authority and power, but is willing to say, I can learn from those who have less power than me. Someone who recognizes their power and privilege and forgoes it for the sake of the whole. To be filled 
with true purpose. We must hunger and thirst for righteousness, for all the things that we could hunger and thirst for in this world. We must hunger for the rightness of Jesus' kingdom and work to make it a reality here and now. To receive mercy, we must be merciful. Now, for Matthew, this doesn't just mean a merciful attitude, but participating in concrete acts of mercy. Our tradition as Methodists teaches us that acts of mercy mean seeking justice, ending oppression and discrimination, and addressing the needs of the poor. That sounds very lofty, but we start with small local actions. And to be called children of God, we must be peacemakers. Honestly, I find that one the most challenging. Thinking about bringing, bringing about communal peace, peace in our nation, peace in our denomination, even sometimes peace between just two people can feel insurmountable. But I think, again, this is where individual attention breeds communal change. Peacemaking is not tiptoeing around. It's not avoiding what is hard. It is not staying quiet and being nice. Peacemaking means that we have to pass through chaos. We have to look at conflict. We can't have peace without confronting controversy unless we really look at what is broken and the patterns that keep us coming back to the same spot. Peace is simply fabricated. It is a false smile reflected in the mirror when our insides still ache. There is no doubt that America is groaning for peace right now. Peacemaking requires our awareness, naming, repenting, then finding appropriate ways to move forward. Peacemaking does mean staying rested in our stabilizing centers so that we can engage the world unafraid. Last night, I was looking at the scripture again that says, God does not give us a spirit of timidity or fear, but a spirit of power and love and calm and a well-balanced mind. Peacemaking often does require compromise, but there are things that we cannot compromise on. We cannot compromise on racism. We cannot compromise on violence done in the name of Jesus. We do not compromise on anything that denies justice or righteousness or equality for all people or any other value that points to the kingdom of God. Hear me today when I say, I feel the best thing that I can say to you as your pastor is that I want you to think critically and theologically about what you are witnessing in our nation as you look in the mirror, who do you want to be? How do you want to live as a Christian in this moment in history? Our answers will be different, but they cannot be outside of God's truth. They cannot avoid the hard work of peacemaking. We have but one wild and precious life to make a true kingdom difference. And friends, there is absolutely no time to waste. Amen.